Hey everyone, welcome to episode 156, Raising Invincible Kids. Meet our mom, Kelly Hutchison. She is a life coach. She is a child counselor. She is a teacher. She's a parent coach. And she's a mom to us. She will teach you to stop yelling at your kids. She will teach you to get your kids to lesson. She will teach you how to never sleep with mommy guilt again. She will teach you how to be an imperfect mom. So you can help your kids be imperfect too. And have harmony in the home. You all are going to love today's episode because it is going to allow you to take so much pressure off your shoulders about doing the right thing when it comes to parenting because so many times we put so much pressure on ourselves. Notice that I'm saying ourselves because I do it too and I have to constantly remind myself that I'm not as big and powerful as my ego wants me to think that I am, especially when we're raising kids. We think that what they do or don't do is a reflection of us versus a reflection of their journey, reflection of their soul's contract, a reflection of what God wants them to go through. And then we get to let go of it all and not put so much pressure on our own hearts that we lose the plot and we don't get to actually enjoy raising these beautiful humans and these beautiful miracles. So when I tell you that we're not that big and powerful, what I'm talking about is that we talked about last week about emotional regulation and checking your side of the street first always. And I use the smoking analogy because that's very symbolic and it's a good analogy because they're actually going to absorb the smoke from you, the secondhand smoke. And then they will say, you know what? If mom and dad are doing it, then I'm going to be able to be a smoker when I get older. Or they might go the opposite direction where they might say, you know what? Smoking is no bueno. I'm not going to do it. So it can go either way. I'm not saying you should smoke or not smoke, or your kids should smoke or not smoke. It's more of a symbolic analogy of if you're not smoking, then your kids won't absorb it from you. But if they still become a smoker, it has nothing to do with you. So you always check your side of the street first. So that's the filter you want to put things through. Check your side of the street first. Is it something that they could be absorbing from you? If it is, that's great news because then we can work on changing that, altering it, being aware of it, letting kids know that you struggle with it too so that we can kind of humanize and normalize it for them. So once it goes through the filter and you feel like your side of the street is clean, then you get to let go of their naughty behavior. I'll just call it naughty. Bad choices, whatever you want to call it, has nothing to do with you because you want to think back to when you were little and why you made bad choices or why you made mistakes or why you snuck out of the house. I'm speaking about myself right now. Or when I decided at seven years old that I'm going to go tap dance on the top of my dad's station wagon. Yeah. I did some wonky stuff, so I'm always reminding myself of that, that our kids are going to do some wonky, off-the-wall stuff, and that's how they have to learn and grow. By doing the wonky, off-the-wall stuff, and that's how they're going to learn, like, hey, you know what? That was pretty D-U-M-B of me to do that. That's what they tell themselves, so I'm not going to do that again. So I asked you all on Facebook, what is one dumb thing you did as a kid? State age and what happened? your answers left me howling with laughter because it just shows how little our brains were. And we have to remind ourselves that that's who we're raising now, that they have little undeveloped brains and not from a place of like, 
they're immature and they're just so little. It's like we're not dealing with a fully formed human being. I mean, I was in high school and my friend Allison and I snuck out and we all made pizzas at I shouldn't even say the title because someone we were with worked there and had the key. And like, what? Now, did I absorb that from my parents? No, I was a little bit of a risk taker. I was a little rebellious. I felt so invincible, like nothing could ever go wrong. I felt invincible all the way to college. Like in college, people would be like, why aren't you locking up your bike? I'm like, no one's going to steal my Huffy. I was so indignant about it. I took things from stores. I lied to my parents. Sorry, dad, I know you're listening. I did some wonky stuff and I had the conscious parents. So it wasn't a reflection of them. It was more a reflection of me just trying to figure out life. I like to take risks. I like to be kind of a baddie, but like, I don't want to be a complete baddie and be up in jail. So some of your examples left me howling. I cut my brother's eyelashes off with toenail clippers and I was around 10 or so. Like that's Grady's age. He's 11, but like what? A lot of dabbling with drugs people did because they just felt so invincible. Like, oh, what's one hit going to do? Another one of you said drugs, 23 years drug-free. Also pushed my father into the pool on his wedding day in his suit. What? My gosh. Another one of you says, I can't post that stuff here. Bold of you to assume I have stopped doing dumb things. Yes, that is very true. Like we're talking like lawbreakers. My sister and I tried to warm up her bed with a reading lamp. We set the bed on fire. Bed smolder versus burst into flames. So I didn't get past the bed. Really filled the house with smoke, which ended dinner in a panic. We were about seven or eight. 15 or 16, got into car with strangers and let them drive us around Philadelphia, but not directly to our houses. Stuck a rubber dinosaur tail up my nose and couldn't get it out and had to go to the hospital and they had to push it up my nose and out my mouth. (laughs) Oh my gosh. She was like four or five. When I was seven, I got gum stuck in my hair and my mom told me if it happened again, I couldn't chew gum for a year. So I cut it out of my hair, but left it on the dresser. When my mom found it, I tried to convince her (laughs) it was a feather. For hours, she really wanted to chew that gum. I used to hang on the automatic garage door and take rides up and down at about eight or nine years old. How dare my neighbors tell on me. I shaved my arms in fifth grade, then ran crying to my mom and told her out of guilt. My neighbors across the street had a fiberglass pool. Their pool started having a problem leaking water, so they had someone to come out and look at it and hopefully fix the problem. It turned out that the son was using the skimmer net to practice pole vaulting across the pool and had caused holes and dents at the bottom. They ended up having to get a new pool installed since it was fiberglass instead of concrete. Oh, man. I would have a group sleepovers and we would sneak out, take the car and go to 7-Eleven for Slurpees, 2 a.m., age 12 to 13, middle school. My sister and I were eight and 10 at the neighbor's house, jumping on the waterbed that was downstairs and the bed burst. We were so panicked, we started drinking the disgusting water to keep it from going all over the floor. Luckily, we didn't get sick from it. What? This one made me laugh. I wanted to recreate fainting like they did in the movies. I was maybe seven. I went inside and got three or four washcloths, folded them nicely, and laid them stacked up on our concrete driveway. I then proceeded to fall backwards, hitting my head on the concrete. It definitely wasn't as cool as in the movies. So we all have stuff that we've done and we all remember doing stuff for like, what was I thinking? A lot of times I'm like, how am I still alive? How did my parents not know about that? And my sisters have the same type of stories. So we have to remember that they have a undeveloped brain and they have a sense of invincibility where they think that no matter what we tell them, 
it's kind of like talking to talking to a wall because they have to almost figure it out for themselves. So I came across this talk by Dr. Vanessa Lapointe, and it was so powerful showing how undeveloped their brains are, but in the most beautiful, joyous, miraculous way. And this is how they learn to grow and thrive and learn from right from wrong. And then you can take what they do when they make bad choices. You don't have to make it mean something about you and your worthiness as a parent which is our first go-to. So I want you to listen to this talk by, it's five minutes, and I'm dedicating the five minutes on our podcast for it because it was that powerful. I was like, yes, yes, I was fist pumping in the air. So thank you, Lorraine, for sending me this. I want you to think about what was your experience of being parented? By virtue of your age, I can tell you today, you were all raised by behaviorists. Behaviorists focus on behavior as the bottom line. So I don't like the behavior, I squash it. The behavior's loud and inconvenient, I squash it. The behavior makes me feel bad as your parent, I squash it. Without any real consideration for the health and well-being of the child underneath that. I went back to some of the sort of original behaviorists and John B. Watson is a big name and his message was, when you are tempted to pet your child, remember that mother love is a dangerous instrument you got to keep them hungry. And what he meant was hungry for your love. Because if they're hungry for your love, then they will do whatever it is you want them to do. What happens if your parent was told, if you respond to them every single time, you're molly coddling the baby. If the baby won't sleep, your job is to leave them alone to cry. These were the words of Dr. Ferber. Even if they vomit, for the crying soon will settle and they will go to sleep. Do you hear the break? The break in the bond? And if you were a highly sensitive child, you could have experienced that as very traumatic. And if you have good children, then you are a good parent. It's wild to me that we have conflated morality with child development. That's crazy. Because children behave the way that they do due to the fact that, by design, they have still immature brains. 18-month-old children are meant to chew on other humans. They bite them. Are you raising little psychopaths? No. When you're four years old, you're not supposed to share. You actually have no idea how to share. You won't even have the neural architecture for that for another three or four years. And we get kids who are four in trouble for not sharing. And then we wonder why we have whole generations of adults who feel like they're not good enough. Because we're not honoring children for who they are. We're trying to form children into who we want them to be. And then they grow up and become adults who feel like they must perform in order to be loved. Well, no kidding. Where did they get that from? You see, if you didn't have the need met early on, you will work as a grown-up to fill the hole. You will try to get the need met from outside until you realize the only way to meet the need is from the inside. Through full acceptance of self, full love of self, right? This is how you were raised. And maybe your parents didn't go to that extreme where Watson coached parents that you shouldn't hug your children in the morning, you should offer them a handshake. And this is, by the way, this is not about pointing the finger at your parents and how they f***ed you up and now you're grown-ups and now you get to heal all their right? That's not what it's about. 
because our parents did the very best that they could with the knowledge that they had for the time that they were raising you in. So this is not an exercise of going home and blaming your parents. Please never, ever have that conversation with them. It is not their story. It is yours because now it lives in you. So what we know from the science of child development now is that we must honor children for the very ones that they are. We've got to show up and make sense of children, not through this lens of morality, but rather through the lens of development. Children are children. They are not tiny adults. You cannot, by downward extension, take the expectations that you will eventually have of your children as adults and apply them to them now. Oh, if I'm generous with you, you'll get the greedy gimmies and you're going to grow up to be a greedy adult now. Be generous with children because it inspires them to grow up and be generous adults. If a child is having a meltdown, you want to know what they need most from their big people? They need connection, compassion, empathy. They need an invitation for all of that nasty stuff to come out. Because better out than in, that which stays in festers and comes forth later in uglier ways. You don't want them to bottle that up inside. You want them to barf that all out and now. So that when they become adults, they have learned how to deal with their big emotions. They have figured out what it is to self-regulate on the inside because you actually grew for them a brain that was capable of that. And how did you grow for them a brain capable of self-regulation? You regulated them from the outside. And so when we know better, we do better. I think if we could show up just one generation of big people, parent or not, who would look upon children with eyes that really see them, there would be no more war. There would be no more terrorism. We would change the world. Can you even believe how amazing that is and what she packed into five minutes? And this is literally, I feel like she took our whole podcast. I don't know why my voice is getting so high. I feel like she took our whole podcast and just literally summarized our entire podcast in five minutes. Like what? That was so amazing, and it's so true. Now, you can really practice this on both ends of the spectrum. Remember, the filter is check your side of the street. If you're not doing it, it's part of their soul's contract. It's part of what God wants them to learn. It's part of them being feeling like they're invincible. It's a part of their age and stage, and they're growing and developing. Let go of all of it, and then you're not so triggered. You don't make it mean something about you and your worthiness and your value and your good enoughness. Now, you can also practice this when they get all the awards. When they get all the accolades, school is ramping up. School is ending. So they're going to be getting awards. They're going to be getting straight A's. They're going to be getting the home runs. They're going to be getting all the goals. They're going to be getting the principal's award. They're going to get an honor roll or they might not. Whatever it is, when it's the good choice or the bad choice, it has nothing to do with you and your worthiness and your value. So if your child gets straight A's, it has nothing less or more to do with your value and your worthiness. That's where the ego starts to get even stronger. Like, see, I'm doing a good job. I am worthy. I am good enough. The problem with that, of using their grades, using their sports, using their behavior, when it's quote unquote good, when you use that as evidence of how you're doing and how you're succeeding as a parent, you're giving all of your worthiness to a child and then making it mean something about you. So then when they do sneak out and they make pizzas at 
at two in the morning, you're going to do the same thing. You're going to make it mean something about you and your worthiness and your value. The ego is very selfish. That doesn't mean you're selfish. That means we all have an ego within us all, and it will get stronger because it gets a hit of dopamine, a hit of excitement. Like, yes, I am good enough. I am worthy because they got straight A's, because they got on the all-star team, because they got the principal's award for their behavior. You can see it roaring at the happiness, and then you can also see it going the opposite direction. And every child that I've ever met is going to make probably 50% of the time make good choices and 50% of the time make some not so great choices because they're learning, they're growing, they're developing, they're figuring out not to tap dance on their dad's station wagon because then their dad has to drive to Motorola with duct tape because he didn't get it fixed. So he has to use duct tape and then it's raining on the way to work and then he's getting all wet in his suit. So then that's how they figure it out. Sometimes they have to do really dumb things like we all did. And then they learn, you know what? I'm not going to tap dance again on my dad's sunroof. My sister even came out while I was doing it and said, get down. Dad and mom are going to be so mad. You're going to hurt their car. And I'm like, whatever. I'm like seven, eight, nine years old. I thought I knew everything. So your kids will think that they knew everything too. And that's okay. That's part of the growing and developing and the age and the stage. So remember back to when we were little, and then you can kind of have empathy and compassion for what your kids are going through. And then you realize, oh, wait a minute. They're a child from God. They're a child with their own soul's contract. I'm not as powerful as I think I am. I'm also not as weak as I think I am. When they make good choices, bad choices, or just mediocre choices, it has nothing to do with us. It has everything to do with them being on their own journey, their own soul's journey. And then we get to enjoy and be in the stands, but not make their story part of our narrative. We can set up the conditions. We can try our best. We can do all those things but we don't take responsibility for their successes and their failures as long as we're checking our side of the street. When you are able to do that and you can see your ego roaring its head for the good, for the mediocre, and for the not so good, like the tap dancing moments, then you just get to breathe a sigh of relief and it takes the pressure off of your shoulders, which in turn takes the pressure off of their shoulders. And ironically, that's when they do better because we're out of their way. We're not making their behavior, their choices, their grades, their sports, their band. Wherever our ego shows up, we don't make that mean something about us. Where I used to use it, their behavior, because I was like, well, I'm a counselor, so I have to have emotionally stable children. So when we went to Chuck E. Cheese and they followed the rules and they said, please, and they said, thank you, and they did all the things and they didn't get upset when they didn't get the tickets, then I thought, oh, I'm doing a good job as a mom. I made their behavior mean something about me. That was a big area of unconsciousness for me. It's different for everybody. And you'll see it rear its ugly head and rear its, not so much an ugly head, you'll see it rear its head. Because it's not ugly or bad, it's just part of the human experience. And then when you're aware of it, it doesn't have such a pull over you where you need your kids to do or act or be a certain way to fit your narrative of your worthiness and your value. And I will tell you, when you do this, it is so much freedom and so much joy, and so much less pressure on your shoulders, and so much less pressure on your spouse's shoulders, and all the other people that are involved in your Saturn. And the best part of it all is it takes the pressure off of their shoulders. And then they can be who they are meant to be, who God meant for them to be, versus who we want them to be, like a little minion or a piece of clay that they need to be or do or act or say a certain thing for our agenda, for our narrative. 
And when you let go of all of that, you take the pressure off your shoulders, which the best part of it all is it takes the pressure off their shoulders too. And then they can be who God wanted them to be versus who we need them to be. So we can use them as a pawn to heal our old wounds and make us feel worthy when it's not their job to do that. I love you guys and I'll talk to you next week. Bye-bye. Hey mamas, thanks for listening. If you had any ahas, clicks, or those lightning bolt moments while listening, you have to check out my free parenting bootcamp where we take all of this to the next level and we try to create even more awakenings for ourselves so that we can connect more with our kids and never yell at them again. You can sign up at www.coachingkelly.com. And if you really want to fill up my love cup, send me an email of what your aha was, what your click was, what was that lightning bolt moment while you were listening. I want nothing more in life than for you to have harmony in your home and to learn how to be an imperfect mom like me, which allows your kids to be imperfect too, each and every day. Thanks for listening.